Bibles, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. I was reflecting on um, this morning's message, and um, and one of the things, as I kind of went through the week uh, this week, I was thinking we need to have a gospel big enough for what we face in the world, uh, because there is a lot of there are a lot of hard, difficult, and there's a lot of bad news, and we need to have a good news that holds up to all of the challenges that we face. Now, this week. Uh, Wendy and I were able to attend three different funerals for people in our community this last week. Uh, it started with a young lady named Ashley who was 19 and she battled uh, just birth defects her entire life. And she, though small in stature, was mighty in spirit and she loved well and lived well. And she was a beacon of light in our community. Uh, with no hyperbole there. She was, she was something. She was special. And, uh, and then later this week, we got to honor and remember uh, really one of the finest people in our community, Peely Heckerman. Uh, just a fountain of joy and kindness that poured out in our community. And then uh, we were able to be with Ray and Terry for Terry's brother, Bill. Um, as she mourned the loss of her brother, who uh, died of liver failure earlier uh, last week. And when we navigate these things, we need to have a gospel that's big enough for us locally, but we also know that we need a gospel that's big enough for us glo uh, locally and globally. You know, we have our troubles and our difficulties as we navigate relationships and we spend time with people that we love locally and they go through the grief that they go through and we try to meet those needs and have compassion i need a gospel that goes with me that is strong enough to be of comfort and love and encouragement that when i say god is with you and god loves you that there is something to that, that there is meaning and hope behind it and as i think about the things going on globally as we think about the struggles that are happening all around us and in particular parts of our world where evil rulers are carrying out their bidding at the cost of human lives and human sacrifice. We need a gospel that is large enough to face the great difficulties that the world faces. And then, you know, I, I think locally, I think about the people I love and the grief that they go through. I try to be as empathetic and understanding as possible to understand and be sympathetic and prayerful for Ukraine and Russian, Russia and for everyone that is affected by it. But then I also know that there's the grief that's happening outside of all of this. There's the grief and the sorrow and the difficulty happening within our community. And there's the grief and difficulty going on even within ourselves. And I need a gospel big enough globally, I need a gospel big enough locally, and I need a gospel big enough personally. One that would remind me of God's goodness and his grace. One that would remind me that when I have failed, when I try to control things, when I try to um, seek my own will and my own desires, my own pleasure over and above everybody else, when I find myself in sin and brokenness and despair, when I find myself facing all sorts of trials and temptations. That all of us need a gospel big enough globally. We need God to right the wrongs of the world. 
We need God to comfort those who are hurting. We need God to right the wrongs locally and seek justice and peace and care and love. And we need those very same things in our families. We need those very same things for us personally. And what Jesus presents to us in Matthew 16 is a gospel big enough for all of us. Big enough to know the needs of the world and, and, and personal enough to know the griefs and the sorrows and the brokenness and the sin and the despair that all of us carry. So Jesus calls to us in this text to come and follow him. Let's begin with prayer and dig into his word. God, we love you. We need you. As we uh, face so many challenges, as we look at the world around us, we thank you that the good news that Jesus proclaims is greater than death, greater than sin, greater than the powers that are upon us and pressing down, that your kingdom is greater. God, in a world of shaking kingdoms, your kingdom cannot be shaken. As your son said before Pilate that he is truly a king, Lord, he's a king we can trust, a king that we can rely on, a king that is unlike any other king that went before him or any that would attempt after him. So we come to you today. Share a good news with us today that's big enough to handle the suffering, big enough to handle the brokenness, significant enough to deal with the sin and the suffering of a hurting world. Lord, that today we would leave encouraged knowing that Jesus is king and we can trust in you. We love you, God. Open our hearts now. Open our minds. Help us to hear from you through your spirit and a word of encouragement, love, and grace today. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 16, uh, we've jumped ahead. Last week we were in Matthew 13. And there's a lot that happens between 13 and 16. But the basic rundown is this. Jesus feeds a whole bunch of people. He feeds them a lot. And they, even though he has little, Jesus gives them and, and fills them and blesses them. And he does it twice. And amidst all of that, there's also these questions from the Pharisees. And they're wanting to know... Uh, if there would be yet another sign and jesus is kind of like how many signs do y'all need like how much do you need to understand and and so then jesus he asked this question and i shared this passage only from mark a, a few weeks ago and so i don't feel the need to belabor it but i want to i want to just remind ourselves of what peter says he, uh, he uh, is asked the question from Jesus, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus asked all of his disciples, and, and he says, well, some of them say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah, that you're a prophet. And, and Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And, and Peter chimes in and he says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Peter is affirming in Matthew 16, 16, that Jesus is Lord and Savior that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who is going to come and rescue the world. This Jesus is the one they've been waiting for. And Jesus is like, all right, Peter, you got it. 
God helped you understand it, and here you are, and I just want you to know that this is what we're going to build the church with, is people who believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And there is nothing in the world that's going to prevail against this. Not even death itself, not even hell itself will prevail against this affirmation and truth that Jesus is Messiah and Lord, and we can trust in him. That is a part of our gospel. This gospel that is large enough to face the global, personal, and local problems that we understand are going on, this is part of that good news that is greater than the bad news, greater than the difficulty, greater than the suffering. And so as we look at Peter's confession, then it's immediately followed by Jesus, and Matthew is throwing this in there, so we start understanding and picking up that there is a tension that's brewing. And it's in Matthew 16, 21, where we'll pick up reading our text. From that time on, Jesus began to explain his disciples that we must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life and lose it, I'm sorry, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, you are standing here. You who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Today, I would like to talk to you about the gospel the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, that he is king. And what we have is the complete gospel is this, that Jesus is the Messiah, as Peter confesses. And he is also, and what Peter, uh, what Peter fails to understand, but what Matthew, Mark, and Luke try to communicate over and over to us, especially in Mark 8, 9, and 10, is that Jesus being the Messiah, he is also something that they totally unexpect. They don't expect this. This is beyond them. That Jesus is the Messiah, the one who would be king and take over uh, and reign, and he is also the suffering servant. These were two foreign concepts that sort of, in the first century Jewish person's mind, they were incongruent. They were oil and water. And, it's, and oftentimes it's incongruent for us too, right? That how does a king die and reign? And we can understand, we can be a bit sympathetic towards, you know, like, let's go take over. And he says, oh, by the way, guys, we'll get there. Before we get there, I'm, I'm going to die. It's like, well, that's not how we planned it, right? And so we've gone over this, and I've preached this message several times of this point of understanding that Jesus is the Messiah, but he is also the suffering servant. And what I believe and why this is so important is, is this is what makes the gospel as powerful as it is 
because Jesus is willing to die and lay down his life for what kingdom he is bringing. This suffering is a part of the labor pains of bringing the kingdom into fruition. And so we can't have the joy, we can't have the celebration, we can't have this understanding and new life without the suffering and death of Christ. Because it's in his suffering and death that we see the resurrection and we have the hope of victory over death, the victory over sin, the victory over suffering, the victory over all of the bad. You know, to have someone greater than the bad in the world, you have to have one who is willing to enter into the suffering and prove himself greater. So I'd like to say this in uh, not really coining my own phrase here, but just calling this the complete gospel. We kind of cut the gospel in half in our lives when we say we want Jesus to lead us, but we don't want the pain. We want Jesus to lead the way and make everything right, but we don't want to endure the cross with him. And so what we do is we fracture the gospel. And I'm here to say this morning that if we want one, uh, if we want a complete gospel, if we want one who will stand with us, we need we need to have both intention. And as incongruent as it is in our minds, we have to remind ourselves the power of the resurrection and the hope that we have in Christ, that he is greater than death, he's greater than sin. And so we hold this in, in this sort of balance because there is a counterfeit gospel out there. And Peter, he stands up for the counterfeit gospel. He says to Jesus, after hearing Jesus say, guys, we're going into town we're going to suffer. Okay, you know, and Peter says, no, that is not going to happen. How many of y'all are like Peter? I, uh, I don't know what that's like, but uh, for you all that might suffer from Peter's syndrome, where we get in the way of Jesus, uh, this is exactly what he's doing. He's saying, that's not how this is going to be carried out, Jesus. We're not going to let you go in and suffer. We're not going to let you go in and die. You have too important of things to be doing for you to go and do that. And so I'm going to stand in your way. And Jesus says to him some of those most famous words that sort of echo in our own hearts and our own minds. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. I was, uh, I don't know how many times I've studied this text, and I picked up on something that I'd never heard before, or at least it's the first time it actually connected, um, and it uh, came from uh, Craig Keener's Matthew commentary, and he says that, uh, you know, when we think about disciples, when we think about disciples, they always followed behind their rabbi. So if, uh, if you were thinking of following Jesus, and wherever Jesus went, you would physically walk behind Jesus. That was it served a purpose. It was a visual reminder that I am following, I am trusting, I am listening, I am hearing. And so when Jesus figuratively stands in the way of Jesus and blocking him from going to where he needs to go, Jesus' words then, and even in the text when it says Jesus turns to him, as this sort of physical reminder that who's in front and who's leading, he says, get behind me. The sin that Peter commits is sort of standing in the way and usurping the role of Jesus. Who's the boss? 
well, it's not Peter. You know, who we are following Jesus. And so it's this really important thing that happens is that Jesus is literally placing Peter where he needs to be. Get behind me. You're not out in front of me. You're not the one who's, <laughs> who's guiding the ship. You're following me. Now, when I read that and I think about my own life, I think about the, you know, the one or two times that I've gotten out in front of Jesus, right? Where I've wanted Jesus to come along and follow me. It's like, come on, come along, Jesus. Come and follow me. I'll, I'll show you what we need to do. And getting ourselves out in front of Jesus and carrying out our own sort of personal missions and what the complete gospel t calls us to is complete surrender. That's what it is. It's this complete surrender to the one who is suffering and the one who is dying and the one who is going to reign. It's complete surrender to him. And that's the sort of wrestling match of our lives is this willingness and this desire to say, as a follower of Jesus, I will lay my life down. Right? It's that, it is that statement on repeat every day. And we have found ourselves in life, in a wrestling match with that very concept and idea. Will I lead today, or will Jesus lead me? And what we all need to wake up and say to ourselves every morning, and what we need to ask the Spirit to do for us, is just simply say, get behind me. Let the Spirit say to you, get behind me. I will lead. I will show you the way. I will, or you follow me. It's the dying to self. And that's what Jesus calls them to. He says, it, after he rebukes him, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's what's happening here. Peter's saying, I'm out in front, Jesus. And he says, that's not what this is, Peter. Get behind me. Get behind me. And remember what discipleship is. Discipleship is denying self, taking up your cross, and following me. You know, Peter, he's perfect from then on out, right? You all have read your Bibles. You know, he, he continues to struggle with the idea, but we have to have for ourselves a complete gospel where we understand Jesus as suffering servant and the Messiah King who's going to right the world, and we need to understand that we try and operate in this sort of a counterfeit gospel that says that we can follow Jesus without any of the difficulty. That we can follow Jesus without any of the laying down of our lives. That we can follow Jesus without any of this sort of denial of self. It's like, give, give me eternal life and give me, um, give me cake too. I don't know, the proverbial, uh, you know, have your cake and eat it too sort of thing, that we would have a life without the difficulty and all of the blessing. It's the story without the gore. It's the, what Dallas Willard called a counterfeit gospel. He called it vampire Christianity, where we want all of the blood and all of the blessings of Jesus' blood, but we don't want the cross. We don't want the way of Jesus. We don't want the denial of self. We want all of the blood, but not the ways of Christ. And that's a counterfeit gospel, and it's a gospel that's not big enough to handle the problems of the world. Just a, 
not to throw shade at people, but, you know, it's, there is a counterfeit gospel that gets preached all the time. And it's a bit audacious for preachers to condemn what other people are preaching because, you know, I get it 100% right all the time, right? I read old sermons and I think, why did I do that? <laughs> uh, you know, so, so ego aside, there is, there is a health and wealth prosperity gospel that you couldn't go into the heart of Africa and preach. But it makes sense here. If the gospel doesn't make sense here and there, then it's not the gospel. Right? And so when we think about a counterfeit gospel, it has to be big enough for the global problems in the world. And the one that's big enough for the global problems in the world is a king who suffered and died and laid down his life and raised to the dead and is seated at the right hand of God. And he was with God in the beginning. He's the firstborn over all of creation and he's the new creation. And he has died for you and has rescued you from sin and death and brokenness and suffering. And he reigns as king and his kingdom is for you. That will preach anywhere because everywhere needs to hear it. A gospel big enough for the problems is a savior big enough to bear the burdens of the world and he's laid his life down for us. We must throw away the counterfeit because it's not good enough. We must deny ourselves and follow him. Take up our crosses and die with him. I don't like that message any more than anyone else. I like being in control. I like leading the way. I like having my way. And I'll be honest, I keep this intention in my heart more times than I want. God, I'm not willing to give that up. My life is really, really comfortable right now. I don't know that I could lay this down. There is power in this gospel that should inspire us to re and remind us that we can lay our lives down because the gospel is big enough because it raises Jesus to life. I can die to self because my Savior did. I can lay my life down because my leader did. I can go to uh, continue to follow him because I know that he will give everything he has and he'll be raised to life. We need a gospel that's big enough for the problems that we face, a complete gospel. We need to throw aside the counterfeit gospel that lets us believe in this myth and lie that we can have all that we want without laying down our lives, and we need to commit ourselves to this gospel. Whoever wants to be my disciple, we must deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow him. So We need to practice daily what it means to follow Jesus. Do you have in your wakeful heart and mind in the morning, I am following Jesus today? You wake in the morning thinking, I am laying my life down. I have an agenda. I have things to do today, but I am letting Jesus lead the way in every step of those things. Every step of the way and how I interact with people. Wendy and I, we've talked about the drop-off line. I've used more words, bit my tongue more in the morning at drop-off line. Because I just want people to drop their kids off and leave. <laughs> Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. 
Wendy says, even Wendy struggles, the nicest person I know, she, even she struggles in the drop-off line. She says, I don't know where there's any joy in this. <laughs> there's not, honey. It's the burden that we bear. But as we try to enter into our life in the wakeful morning hours, and we enter into and we engage in the relationships that we have, do we have before us that I am following Jesus? I am denying myself. It's not about me. And that's such a hard thing, isn't it? I like taking care of me. To deny ourselves. We die to self. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and his glory. I will follow you, Jesus. You need to embrace this costly gospel. It's going to cost you your life. I've yet to meet anyone who's given their lives to Jesus. And at the end of their days, they regretted it. Some of the greatest celebrations of life and human life at funerals are the celebrations of those who have laid their lives down loving others. Ashley's funeral was a celebration of a girl who gave her heart to God. Keely's service was a celebration, a celebration of someone who lived 93 years and he made everyone feel like they were the most important person. I asked Wendy, I said, who's going to step up? I already got one guy in mind. I think Kurt Kreft is that guy. Why can't it be us? Why can't it be you and me? Jill came in. I haven't seen Jill in a while. And uh, we were talking, and then I was trying to be attentive, and then two boys started wrestling in the vestibule. I'll let you guess which boys. And I got distracted, and I was like, all I wanted to do was give Jill attention, but then there was distraction. I know that's never happened to you all. Let's be attentive. Let's be loving and open and caring for one another. I love 1 Peter 3. Peter, he's all over the map, isn't he? He's going to mess up quite a bit down the road. But eventually, eventually he gets it right. Pages aren't turning very well. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3 and 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult without insult, or on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. There's a person who stood in the way of suffering who now understands the purpose that we would be made alive in the spirit of Christ, that we would be reconciled and brought near to God. There are many problems facing our world, globally, locally, and personally. Things that are so insurmountable in our own power and our own strength. But we believe in a complete gospel. We believe in one big enough to handle the problems of the world. We believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And we believe him to be the suffering servant. And we also understand him as the resurrected Lord and King. And because of that, we can lay down our lives and trust in him. We thank God for his grace today. For all those times that we get out in front of him. Before I pray, I'm going to ask you to pray. Pray quietly in your place. Think of those times where you've gotten out in front. And just ask God, put me in my place. And it's a good place to be, following him. Father, we love you, and thank you for meeting our repentance with your grace. Lord, we get out in front, we go our own way. God, we have turned from you, we have pushed aside your agenda and your will for our own. For that, God, we give our sincerest, heartfelt repentance of saying, God, we are wrong. We're wrong when we think we know better than you. We're wrong when we choose our will over that of others, or, or that over yours. God, when temptation is great and we turn towards sin, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for choosing the lesser things and the blessings you offer. Lord, for when we're challenged to stand for what is good and do what is good, even despite uh, despite all of the evil and darkness and despair around us, God, forgive us for when we fall short. 
Meet us today, Lord, with all of your grace that's poured out at the cross. Meet us today with your mercy and your love and remind us just how quickly you forgave David of his sin. It's just how quick you forgive ours. Lord, you forgive us our sins. You forgive us our debts. You forgive us our brokenness. You forgive us of our past. Lord, we come today before you, grateful for the cross, grateful for what you have given us through your son. So as we live this week, Lord, help us just make one more step with you, inching closer and closer to the way of Jesus in our everyday life. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your love. Come to our hearts, God. Draw us near to you. Be our good shepherd. Lead us to life. It's in Jesus' name.